press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, Ooh drama. drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I'm Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Dylan, it is, it's a new year for our listeners, but it's the end of 2021 still for us, which means there has been so much drama the last Literally. Few it is actually crazy, but I don't want to bring the mood of the pod down by kicking off with it, but I mean, what is, are we up to four Broadway shows? are closed now because of COVID. So it's Waitress, Jack and Little Pill, Thoughts of a Colored Man. And Ain't Too Proud. So that Ain't Too Proud is going to be closing. Oh, I am just... Oh, and Diana. And Diana. Was that because of COVID, though? They, I think they cited, like, the landscape beyond COVID. I could be wrong. True. I'm the clown who thought, oh, we're not going to have shows closed because of COVID again. But here we are. What the It's crazy, fuck? but, you know... This, I will say, January is oftentimes a period of low sales. I almost wonder if Broadway should have waited until uh, like spring to reopen. I mean, granted, the industry could not have been closed for two full years. That would have just been insane for all of the people involved. Keeping the the actors, the musicians, people who rely on their front of house jobs, bartending jobs, all you know, everyone myself included, working in advertising, you know, keeping these people on the hook for an extra nine months, you know, I don't know if it, it would have felt possible, but in a perfect world, that would have been the best choice, I right? Think, I mean, waiting till spring. I don't know. We have gotten so many waiting amazing limited runs, short plays, things that ran safely for all of these months. And I would assume not all the shows have been making tons of money, but I know a lot of them have. So it's, you know, the bigger ones. So I don't think it was necessarily a mistake. I just think that People thought the holidays would help these shows sail into this the new year and everything. And I mean, granted, we're still seeing shows running. I mean, I don't see, you know, Phantom or Wicked closing in the new year or even Lion King. Yeah. I mean, ugh, I don't know. It's really tough because we don't know the grosses, too. We don't know the grosses. So that's the other part. Which I think would make things even more difficult because who knows what money is being funneled into different shows. I will say, though, not all of these closures are COVID-related, which is what's really interesting. By closures, I mean, I should say cancellations. For example, some shows are canceling for non-COVID reasons, such as illness or the fact that company didn't have enough stagehands to help keep the show running. Right. Well, I actually saw an interesting Jeremy O'Harris tweet about this. I feel like I'm I'm reading a line from Gossip Girl. You know, like every like the Gossip new Girl is really, is really trying to be like the new the new Gossip Girl is trying to be like so modern and like New York elite. Jeremy O'Harris, New York elite, of course. And Jeremy basically was tweeting that, you know, it's it's actually insane for these shows to be saying this is non-COVID related because everything is COVID related now. This wouldn't happen in a non- Right. The show must so go on has always been stupid. Broadway's sort of mentality. You make it happen no matter what. I think it's interesting he's saying that, but I think that the reason they're saying non-COVID illness or whatever is because they don't want people to think the show is stricken with COVID. I see. So it's 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 both. It's maybe poor wording. It could, they could just be like, while our performers aren't sick with COVID, tonight we can't have our show because due to the to the world's events, 
we don't have enough employees tonight, you know, stuff yes. like that. I think that that's smart. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm no press release writer, but it's, it's, it's crazy. Well, we used to write it's press sad, releases it's upsetting. Yes, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, I know we're, we're kind of like talking about this in a lighthearted way, but it's so sad and really upsetting. And I, I'm never the kind of person that likes to be like, this show's next. This is next. This is that. I want to hold on to hope that the industry at large will continue to take chances on shows. I mean, look, A Strange Loop just announced. That feels like my beacon of light, like that shows still want to announce Broadway runs. Once shows start announcing pauses and delays of their premieres, that's when I'm going to start getting hella triggered again. Because remember the Broadway briefing from like March 2020 through, you know, that holiday season, this run has been pushed. This oh, yeah. run has been pushed. This is delayed till this season. This That'll trigger me. But until then... I think we're going to have to hope that this wave of the pandemic is over yes. quickly. People are healthy and safe and that Broadway can thrive and people aren't going to lose their jobs. Cause I mean, look, P shows are still running. Our guest today is in a show that's still running and yes. is going to be finishing out its run at the end of January. So I think- And once I test COVID negative, I will be going to see this show. Definitely. Come I think the issue is that people are seeing, you know, this show is, doesn't have a performance tonight. This show doesn't have a performance tonight, but- you know, there's that brought bwaytoday.com that shows what is running. And even off Broadway, things are running like Kimberly Akimbo and different projects like that. There are, and, and Assassins actually, but like you can still see shows. Shows are still happening, you know. And there's also the thought that the more people who get this variant, the sooner we'll, we'll reach herd immunity. Yeah, I know it's, it sucks, but thankfully I'm vaccinated and boosted. So my symptoms were pretty mild. I will say I had a, I don't want to downplay it. I had a horrible headache for like four days, like mm -hmm. crazy. And then some, you know, like other kind of flu-like symptoms. But other than that, I feel okay. And I think it's because I got the vaccine and got the booster and y'all get your booster, please, yes. please, please, please do not think that you're not, you know, it's crazy. This virus changes every day and this is life now. So we need to stay healthy and safe so that we can go to the classic stage company to see assassins where, yes. you know, our, our thrilling guest today is the star. Well, Definitely. one of the stars. Ensemble and piece, of course, ensemble piece. ensemble piece. And of course we're recording this after our chat with him because he is very in demand and we only had a little bit of time to chat. Well, Dylan, I think without further ado, let's start the show. Our guest today is a brilliant, talented, in-demand star, currently appearing as John Wilkes Booth in the classic stage company production of Assassins. You'll know his soaring vocals from his Drama Desk and Drama League nominated turn in the Broadway production of one of my favorites, The Bridges of Madison County. He's also starred in American Sun, which you can view on Netflix, Junk, and Reasons to be Pretty, all on Broadway. Off-Broadway credits include a Lortel-winning turn in The Robber Bridegroom, along with performances in Far From Heaven, A Man of No Importance, for which he received drama desk and outer critics circle nominations the wild party a soldier's play and fat pig he also toured across the country as chris in miss saigon and west side story on television he is perhaps best known as playing sean garrity on the long-running series rescue me as well as for playing mark Furman in the fx limited series american crime story the people versus oj simpson he played johnny elfman on the good wife season six as alicia Florek's campaign manager as well as appeared in alien versus predator requiem aurora borealis doubt divorce bloodline the bite the code six feet under he is a powerhouse political activist and joining us here today please welcome to drama steven Whoa. Whoa, can you guys write my bio from now on? Absolutely. <laughs> Literally, I thought you'd never ask, Steve. It's so nice to meet you. That was awesome. That made me feel, that made me feel like I've been real busy for the last 20 years. I like that. 
<laughs> Do you remember even doing all of those things? No. <laughs> Half of the shit you mentioned. Can we say shit? Yes. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Half of the shit you mentioned, I can barely remember. <laughs> Well, hopefully we'll only chat about the good ones. But I'm so glad to know that they they exist in the world and like that it happened. That's true. I wonder if a lot of the shows and whatnot are available for streaming, you know, because everything was moved onto different platforms. So like where where would one watch Rescue Me at this point? You know, that's a really good question. I don't think it was available for a long time on Netflix and I don't think it is anymore. You'd have to maybe go into the FX. I'm sure FX has its own version of a streamer, right? I think so. I mean, I can't keep up because these companies keep buying each other, so I can't keep up. I don't know who owns who. You're totally right. At this point, but I know pretty much Disney bought everybody, right? So you can maybe through Disney watch it all. I, I don't know. It's like it's like on Succession. Everything's always changing. You never know who's going to own who and what's going on. Oh, my God. Do you watch that show? I do watch Succession. I think it's a masterpiece. Totally. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. That guy is really smart. Jesse Armstrong, I think. Jesse Armstead, the creator. Yeah. Uh, Frank Rich and that crew of EPs over there. They really know what they're doing. Yeah. Wait, I'm putting this together. Is that Frank Rich, the same Frank Rich who was a theater critic? Yes. The same Frank Rich, who is now like a powerhouse television executive producer and great at that job as well. Oh, my God. Yeah, because I knew that name. Didn't he do Veep as well? He did Veep as well and then went on to Succession. Okay. Well, he's got the magic touch. And he's still a diehard theater guy. He's like, you know, he's always uh, still coming to see plays and musicals. And um, it's just an awesome guy. I think he was a pretty critical theater reviewer as well. Well, yeah. I mean, he, you know, with the swipe of a pen, he could destroy you or, or give your, your play life. But you, I could argue that he was a great writer who really understood what good theater was. And that's mm-hmm. not so easy to come by anymore, it seems, unfortunately. That's very true. Very, very true. Yeah, as we're seeing, as we're seeing now, even. Um, well, we start all of our podcasts just by checking in with our guests. And we really want to thank you for joining us today. But Steve, are you well? I am well. I am, uh, you know, not seeing anyone other than my castmates. So we're trying to keep our show from having to cancel because this Omicron is uh, no joke. It's the most contagious thing planet Earth, I think, has ever seen. I know. Crazy, crazy. Have you guys had to cancel it all because of COVID? We canceled three shows last week out of an abundance of caution. Uh, we had somebody who had a false positive test. They were, they were not, oh. they were not um, Omicron positive ultimately, but you know, just better safe than sorry because you don't want to share space with anyone who's, who's got it. I mean, the good news is we have to keep rem- reminding ourselves that as long as you're vaccinated and boosted, you don't get real sick and you certainly don't go to the hospital and you most, there's almost a zero chance that you're going to die. So the, the idea of, of it feeling like the beginning of the pandemic is, is really like, is a false one. You know, we're, we're way better off mm-hmm. than we were, but the fact that it spreads so easily is really a concern for all of us oh yeah i mean twitter was absolutely crazy i think it was like the week before christmas everyone was like it's march of 2020 all over again and some of that fear-mongering was really upsetting to me because we made so many advancements since then so yeah you know and if we got you know 95 percent of the population vaccinated and boosted this would be a non-issue completely Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh my god it, ma- it makes me upset. I-, I really was delusional like last spring when I was like, we're all going to get vaccinated. Everyone's going to stay healthy. And those of us who have gotten vaccinated, like you said, Steve, are it's it's not as bad at all. Like I have COVID right now. I have Omicron and I had mild symptoms the first couple days. But anyway, I don't need to talk about my my COVID case here. No, it's true, though. It's like it's very different than it was, right? Yeah, so different. Mm-hmm. 
there's now going to be a pandemic about the unvaccinated, that's going to be their choice, but they're running a lot higher risk and it's uh, frustrating to the rest of us. Yeah. So you're really, you, you're sticking to um, staying as safe as possible so you can keep your show going, which I am dying to see. Great. I've heard nothing but amazing things. Are you enjoying being an Assassin's? Yes. I think Assassin's is a masterpiece. I think it's one of Steve's, you know, certainly three obvious masterpieces, Sweeney Todd and Sonny in the Park with George and Assassins. And you could certainly argue a little night mm-hmm. music and company and a whole bunch of other things are right there adjacent. Uh, but I think Assassins, what he and Weidman accomplished uh, with it is just the weirdest, most brilliant, darkest, prescient, timely piece of theater we have. I think it's only gotten more relevant as, uh, as time has passed. So we're uh, having a great time working on it and audiences are freaking out for it. And also it's been sad because we lost Steve like uh, the, you know, right the week after we opened, we lost Sondheim. So it feels uh, special to be doing his work having just lost him. Did he get to see this production? He did. Yeah. He came um, to our opening and uh, to our opening night party. Wow. Which was a tiny little get together at Judy Kuhn's house. And uh, we sat and he regaled us with stories and he was sharp as a tack. And that was like maybe five days before we lost him. So surreal. Yeah. really. Yeah. Wow. And of course you're John Wilkes Booth. Is this your first experience with the material? No, I played John Wilkes Booth at city center uh, two, three seasons ago when we did a, we did it for the encore series there. Oh yes. That off center. Is that what it is? Off center. Yeah. Okay. Andy Kaufman's production, which was amazing. But this isn't sort of like a remounting of that, right? This is a different production. No, this is classic stage companies, uh, John Doyle's production of Assassin. So very, very different in terms of casting and approach and um, all of that, you know, that sort of strategy. Wow. I'm entering that today ticks lottery every day, Steve, let me tell you, you know, I have, you know, you, if you, if you bum rush the box office <laughs> any night, you have a really good chance of getting like a quality rush seat because there's always a very last minute, like Omicron fearful person who like, you know, there's always like four, three, four, maybe five seats that end up empty. Even though we're totally sold out. If you, if you just give it a shot, if there's a pretty good chance. I love that. I'm going to come. Once I test negative, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> Don't come before that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. Do you think it's going to move to Broadway? Well, we sure would like it to. Yeah. You know, this is a pretty intense group of artists to get to, to be able to share one rehearsal space. So I think the challenge is making sure we can keep this group together. Um, but if we can, I know there's lots of conversations and interests and it feels really timely. And I heard y'all make it even more timeless. I don't want to give anything away with the ending and some of the tie-ins that it has with, with some modern events. Oh, look, uh, yeah. I mean, how could, how, how could a person living in the real world not equate a show about political violence to a country where political violence happened last January 6th and where the rhetoric about political violence is becoming more and more common every day. So it's, I mean, it's more political violence is coming. Mm -hmm. That's, that's without question. So we're not shying. We certainly don't shy away from that uh, messaging in assassins. Wow. Oh, you're giving me chills. Well, you mentioned a bunch of different Sondheim works and I know for a lot of people that we talk to Sondheim is sort of that, thread that connects their whole career and love of the arts. But we do have a segment on the show that's loosely based on a song from Fun Home, where we talk about someone's ring of keys moment. And in Fun Home, it's about Allison identifying with, you know, her her sexuality. But on drama, we equate it to the moment you might have identified with a career in the performing arts, a love of the arts, theater in general, and we call it the ring of keys moment. Do you have one of those in your life as a performer? 
I do. I really do. And he's going to be so embarrassed because I always tell this story. But my parents dragged, I was like an aimless kind of angry young. I was an athlete as a kid. I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do with my life. And my parents dragged me to see Blood Brothers on Broadway. Oh. Sort of screaming. I may have been like 15 or 16 years old. And Brian Darcy James was an understudy and he was on for David Cassidy that, <laughs> that day. And I guarantee you, David Cassidy was not able to achieve what Brian Darcy James achieved in that show. That guy was amazing <laughs> in it. And it really affected me uh, to the point where I was like, oh, I think I want to try to do to somebody else what this performance just did to me. So that was like a real light bulb moment for me uh, as a young person. Wow. How old were you? I was like a freshman in high school, maybe okay. 15. Yeah. Yeah. And I know from doing my extensive research by our interns at the drama headquarters uh-huh. that you grew up in Pennsylvania. So did you like take the train in or what was that experience? Was that like a common thing? We would dri- my family would drive into New York like maybe once a year for a Christmas like city family moment. And we would catch a show as a part of that. But frankly, like I don't remember, like I remember they dragged me to see Phantom and they dragged me to see Les Mis and I was like, not that. I just wasn't into it. Maybe I wasn't old enough to appreciate it or mm-hmm. something, but something about the story of blood brothers to my like punk ass 15 year old self really like fucked me up pretty good. Yeah. And it just uh, sort of set me on a path. Frankly, I, I, I read Brian Darcy James's biography in the playbill, which said he was a Northwestern grad. I immediately went home and started looking at Northwestern university. Apparently they have a cherub program for young aspiring uh, juniors in high school to go spend the summer there. I did that. I really fell in love with the theater when I got to be around other kids who liked it and were good at it, et cetera. So it really was like a, it was like a inflection point for me. Oh, that's awesome. And then of course I can only imagine your, your, the chagrin when you ultimately understudied Brian Darcy James in the wild party, right? Oh my God. Yes. I didn't even think about that when you mentioned him. Not only that, not only that. So then I, then my, then when I moved to New York, I, I went out on tour for my first two jobs. I did the West side story tour. I was where I played, excuse me, guitar, the non-dancing jet. Oh, <laughs> well, of course. And Tony understudy. And then I went out on the road with Miss Saigon where I sung Chris almost, I think 12 or 1400 times before I moved to New York. And when I moved to New York, I was unemployed and I spent every single dollar that I had saved on tour in the year and a half that I was entirely unemployed and auditioning for everything. Wow. And then my first job was to stand by for Brian Darcy James in the wild party off Broadway. And we became fast friends. And I don't know, maybe six months into it, I started telling him the story of how, Uh you know, what he was to me as a young person. And I think now he's quite fond of it. (laughs) <laughs> but wow i certainly don't hesitate to tell to tell it to share it that's incredible i'm thinking about because you were super young when you booked rescue me right yes <clears throat> i mean i was i moved to new york when i was 21 and i think i was 24 maybe when, or no i was 25 when i booked rescue me oh my god what was it like being on a uh a big a big network or I, I guess it was cable you know new series that ran for so long and i guess starting so young was that what you thought it would be like you know when you're that young and you're just trying to like hustle and make a living you just you just sort of take what comes you know it was my second series i had done like a really bad series for the what was then the upn network remember that i do wow and then Soon after that, uh, booked Rescue Me. And you don't, you know, you just never know what it is, if it's going to be good or bad or if it's going to last or not. And, you know, it's shot in New York. It was an amazing group of guys. It was a hit for FX. This is when, like, cably cool, dark TV was just kind of starting to get its legs under it a little bit. So I think we were FX's maybe third 
like hit show after the shield and nip tuck. Okay. And so it was really fun to be a part of that kind of wave. Yeah. And it kept me in New York, which is always important to me. My daughter's on the East coast. So it, it, it was a great, it was a, a great and awesome situation. The only thing that was sad is that it kept me from doing a, uh, some theater that I, you know, was passionate about at the time, but. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of delayed your, your Broadway debut for a while there. Yeah. I mean, I done, I did, a, I would always do a play in the, in between seasons, but I didn't make my Broadway debut, I think, until after season, between season five and six. Okay. So that was 2008. Wow. And that was Reasons to be Pretty? That's right. Okay. Is that Neil LeBute? That was Neil LeBute and Terry Kinney directing, Marin Ireland, Piper Perabo, Tom Sadowski. Really <gasps> awesome group of people. Piper Perabo. Oh, my goodness. I love her. I know. She's the best. <laughs> That's so awesome. Now I have to ask you about my, like I mentioned in your credits, my favorite project that you've been attached to, which is the Bridges of Madison County. What was that experience like? It's such a, a show that has lived on with its score, I would say, in the last couple of years. And of course, your brilliant contributions to it. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, I think Jason Robert Brown is one of those writers that we who make theater kind of just wait with bated breath for every note that he writes. And I know he was interested at the time in writing what he would describe as a big sing, like a big romantic, like beautiful score. And so knowing that it was him, I, I knew it was going to be really good. And the fact that it was also Marsha Norman writing alongside him and Kelly O'Hara starring and Bart Shear directing, I thought it's just got all the pieces. It could be absolutely perfect. Of course, the property itself, the novel that it's based on is kind of sloppy. And I think maybe ultimately just didn't quite get people that interested in buying tickets because, you know, it didn't last that long, even though uh, we felt so strongly that it was really good. That music, Steve, when I tell you I listen to it all the fucking time, I mean, your voice, I guess this is the moment where I compliment you. (laughs) (laughs) You can have 20 minutes, go. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> I don't know if I have enough time because let me tell you, your voice just soars to places. I mean, it's Thanks, man. crazy. Thanks, brother. And especially you on that that score. That is a big thing and you nail it. I mean, Thanks. it all fades away. One second, a million miles. I mean, all the songs. It's so beautiful. Yeah. You and Kelly together too. Oh my God. Yeah, she's pound for pound one of the greats who's ever done this job. She's one of my favorite scene partners. I think she sings so well that that it's easy to let that be the thing that you notice about her. But she's a great American actor in the scenes and within the songs. I mean, that singing is so hard for us to convince people that it wasn't hard, I think was <laughs> maybe <laughs> the biggest accomplishment. Yeah, for real. Oh, my God. Wait, speaking of like scene partners, I know there are so many great musicals out there. If you could do a, a musical other than Assassins, mm-hmm. something soon who would you love your co-star to be like maybe it's like a kelly o'hara type co-star like anyone who is your dream co-star well kelly's my probably one of my favorite people i've ever worked with for acting and singing i just love her and we're friends and we laugh a lot and so it's just easy i think as as i get older the sort of ease of it is becomes really important um but i'd really like to do something with philippa sue i've heard of her um yeah, I mean, she's also just pound for pound one of our super talents. And so uh, it'd be really fun to find the right thing for us to do together. There's been many inquiries and things kind of circling, but we haven't quite found the exact right thing. But I think that's something is that's for sure on the docket in the coming years. Well, I know that there was that that everyone wished it would come to Broadway production of Carousel that you did a few years ago. And maybe she could she could do Julie. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. 
I don't know. Boy, we had a great time working on that. You know, I didn't know that show other than that big song, which maybe is the best song ever written uh, on the stage. It accomplishes everything you need to. Yeah, truly. But I didn't know Carousel intimately until I went to work on it. And I was so moved by that piece. It's really hard and complex and just brilliant and way ahead of its time. And our production was something else. Rob Ashford did such a beautiful job with it. Oh, he's remarkable. I wish I could have seen it. Yeah, there is a video of you doing the the bench scene, or the at least the If I Love You scene that's on YouTube. And it's, oh, is it? again, remarkable. Oh, and I mean, I, I don't want you to sell yourself short ever because you're acting, the way that you're able to communicate and go from dialogue to singing is so effortless. It's it's really a gift. And and I really hope we get to see you Thanks. do some more things in the near future. Hopefully Assassins first, because I'm picturing maybe the circle in the square, Maybe the booth, the booth at the booth. Come on. John Wilkes Booth, his brother is who the Booth Theater is named for. That's right. Yeah. Edwin Booth was like the Brad Pitt of the day of the 1860s. And John Wilkes was like his hack of an angry, like shitty, bad acting little brother. So Edwin was like, you know, almost ostracized and felt such a sense of shame after John Wilkes assassinated Lincoln. Obviously, it affected him into the point where he never even spoke of John Wilkes ever again. That's drama. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Wow. But we would love to find a cozy, any place that's not huge. I think Assassin's mm-hmm. plays great in. So we uh, our ears are to the, to the ground. Amazing. Wait, okay. You mentioned Philippa Sue earlier and you guys are famously married. Oh my gosh. <laughs> famously married. I don't think it was ever been described as that, but well, that sounds good. Well, if John Groff, if John Groff officiates, I'd say it's, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. He actually introduced us and married us. So he's, oh. uh, we, have him, we have him to thank for, for many things. How did you meet John Groff? Uh, we're from the same town. And Kim Grigsby, who's a wonderful musical director in town, is a mutual friend. And the three of us, I think, were just being social uh, one night. And we became fast friends, sort of central Pennsylvania buddies. And he thought it'd be fun for Pippa and I to meet. So he really is to blame. Ah, that's so cute. I mean, she is absolutely remarkable. She is. Wait, you know what I love about Pippa, if I may be so casual here for a moment? Mm -hmm. Yes, please. I feel as if when Hamilton came out, it was the moment, you know, and it's obviously still one of the greatest pieces of theater we have, et cetera, et cetera. It's so great. And then when it dropped on Disney Plus, I feel like the way people responded to her performance was so amazing because getting to see it filmed allowed for us to see that she was making a choice at every second. And I was blown away. In fact, after I watched on Disney Plus, I was like, hmm, she's got it all. She really does. She really does. I mean, she was always the sort of beating heart of that show, which has so many incredible fireworks in terms of the other performances with Lynn and Leslie and David and Jonathan and, Renee, but I always felt like Pippa and her work in it was really like its core. Um, and, and so to see it captured brilliantly by Tommy Kale and that group was really special when they released it on Disney+. Plus. I was on a team that worked on The Parisian Woman. So I, I got to see some of her acting up close back in 2017. I know that moment in time, Steve. Yes, Parisian Woman. <laughs> one of our finest hours. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I think the New York Times headline the night that of the opening night was Uma Thurman trapped in Trump land. Oh my gosh. Well, that's, that was the headline. That's yeah. That's kinder than it could have been. That's for sure. <laughs> well, Pippa was fantastic. I will say. Of course. As she always is. 
You know, it was a fine hour and a half was American Sun, which was a thrilling, beautiful and tragic capture of what America is actually like. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. We had a really uh, we had a really amazing time working on that. It was when he wrote it, when Christy Mosbrown wrote it, he thought it would become maybe less timely as the years went by. He wrote it in 2015 in terms of police shooting of young black men and the fact that it had only sort of become more of an issue by the time we mounted it in 2019 was really uh, powerful. And so it was, uh, it was like a great way into, have a, into having a conversation about race in America, a, a, an interracial couple. Um, and working with Carrie was great. And Kenny Leon and this great group of artists. Yeah, it was a chilling, the final moments were absolutely chilling. And I do think it transferred very well to the filmed version for Netflix as well. Oh, thanks. thanks. That was a pretty impressive accomplishment. Kenny Leon, we shot that movie in five days, which is completely unheard of. But it's the advantage of having, you know, actors who have totally rehearsed because there's no, there's no time needed to sort of prepare the scenes. It was just about like where we're going to put the cameras to try to capture it as best we can. So we would do like 20 or 25 page swaths of the text and they would just be running around with three cameras. Wow. And we would do that maybe three or four times. And then by the fifth day we had, we had captured all of it. So it was really a really impressive Kenny Leon accomplishment there. That is so cool. Oh my God. And and Carrie Washington, that was her, her big post scandal project, right? So that was, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think she's, you know, she's got a real political mind and heart. I think that uh, really spoke to her. Love it. Oh my God. Do you get starstruck? I don't. Although uh, Mandy Patinkin and Aaron Sorkin are the two people that I can't help but feel a little tongue-tied around. But they're like the giants in my, you know, development. Is that because of West Wing for Aaron Sorkin? Well, A Few Good Men is probably my favorite movie and play. Oh. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, The West Wing and then all of it. My God. It's just everything he writes to me is is just like actor candy. I would love to get, you know, my mouth around it. Yeah. Wait, now you mentioned you have a daughter earlier. Is she interested in any of the stuff that you do? Like, does she ever freak out about your cool co-stars or projects? Yeah, no, she's uh, she's super creative. She loves writing. She's an aspiring writer, oh, cool. uh, but mostly like fiction and novels, fantasy stuff, not so much plays or screenplays or, you know, theater. That's fair. I feel like either you want your kid to enter show business or you don't, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. You know, it's really hard. You really have to be okay with being like on the most intense level rejected like all the time. Mm -hmm. And it requires an enormous, you know, thick skin. Um, So I don't wish it really on anybody. But if you can, if you can manage it, it's the best, it's the greatest life. You know, we're really, and I really lucky that way. Uh, I love it. You know, the way that you felt when you saw Brian Darcy James and Blood Brothers and you knew that you had to make other people feel that way, I can imagine you're always going to be chasing that feeling. It's something that you have to do then, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I've been really lucky. I've been able to work on some really good things written by really smart people. And so when you, then when you go home at the end of the day, you feel like, wow, we really like affected people who saw this tonight. And that's really the, mm. that's really like the drug that is why I, I, I at least aspire to it. Mm. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we're here at the end of our chat, but before we go, we like to end on a dose of drama, a little something that might be on our, on our minds or in our hearts that we want to share with the listeners as we say goodbye. And there is something I'm feeling dramatic about, and I haven't talked about this on the podcast Mm. yet, but you know, I'm a big Marvel fan. I consume all the Mm. movies, all the shows. 
I loved Spider-Man No Way Home. I love Tom Holland. And I, no spoilers here. But I did not love the movie as much as everyone else did for specifically the plot, which I guess... You know, when you go to see a movie, you want to enjoy the plot. I don't know. I found it to be thin and fan servicey, and not necessarily the most gripping. Are you a Marvel guy, Steve? I am. I have seen maybe a couple. I am self-admittedly not a Marvel. Apologetically, not a Marvel guy. I'm sure at some point I will sit and 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 watch them all. But now it just seems like a mountain of movies to get through that will take me years of my life. So I actually don't. <laughs> well, this new Spider-Man sort of <laughs> assumes that the audience has seen every single Marvel film, including all the other Spider-Man movies starring Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm. And it, it's sort of just like, look who else is in the movie. Look who else is in the movie. Look who else is in the movie. It's it's crazy, and it's very impressive to see on screen at that budget and actors at this level. But to me, it just didn't work as well emotionally and impactfully as a plot that I really thought about afterwards, which I know, okay, you're allowed to enjoy things as well, and I certainly enjoyed it. But I'm, I guess I just mean to say it's the third in this trilogy of Tom Holland films, and I think I was looking for something different. You're looking for an upgrade? Well, but you did mention Andrew Garfield, so maybe it's the right time to say, I don't know about you guys, but that performance in Tick, Tick, Boom is like, off the charts great i hope he wins an oscar for that that is an incredible i hope so too what he has done in that movie it's a great year for movie tick tick boom i just watched don't look up which is yeah the greatest sort of nod to trumpism and the absurdity of trumpism in america (laughs) it was painful to watch at times yeah but here we are (laughs) i was like this happens yeah this is what's happening here we are we're gonna be the death of ourselves i mean let's go brandon is basically don't look up Steve, I have to tell you, my dose of drama is about Let's Go Burn because I'm here in my family home in Cleveland for the holidays. Mm-hmm. And our next door neighbor has replaced his Trump 2024 banner that's hanging from his front porch mm-hmm. with a Let's Go Brandon banner. You know what? That's my drama too. Let's Go Brandon is the dumbest thing anyone has ever thought of. If you want to put a tattoo on your forehead that says, I'm the unfunniest person in the world, Mm -hmm. then you should use the Let's Go Brandon phrase as some kind of Mm -hmm. code for unfunny people thinking they're being cute or funny. It's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Absolutely. They've even changed their Wi-Fi to it. Because, you know, like when I'll try to connect my Wi-Fi here, it'll pick up their name. Oh, God. Like grow up. It reminds me of when you're in school and all the kids have some sort of an inside joke about the teacher and they'll like occasionally shout something in the back of the classroom. And the teacher's like, what was that? What was that? Let's go. Brandon is that stupid joke there. Everyone's trying to make fun of. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And by the way, none of it has anything to do with conservatism. I come from a conservative family in central Pennsylvania. I am not. I'm a progressive person, but I understand what conservatism is. And this whole thing, none of it has anything to do with conservatism. Trumpism is the death of republicanism and, and what's going to happen now no one has any idea mm-hmm. but it's gotten it's gotten shit all to do with conservatism that's absolutely sure. oh guys i'm sorry about cleveland i know i know <laughs> I it's know. okay it's okay are you both in the same house there we are right now i'm quarantined in my bedroom for the whole holiday season oh right of course, of course. so the mcdowell house that's a very irish house i take it yes a scottish and irish you know it my mom would love your your green walls she loves everything green irish Shamrocks, all of it. Have you been to Cleveland on any of your tours? I did play Cleveland with West Side Story and with Miss Saigon, I think. What's the theater in Cleveland that all the tours come to? Do you remember? Playhouse Square is like the theater center, but it's like the palace, the Ohio. Very basic names. To be honest, I'm so old, I can't even remember, but I'm sure we played Cleveland. I'm certain of it. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a true delight. If you couldn't tell, we're, we're big fans of your work and just delighted that you, you joined us. Do you want anyone to follow you on Instagram or Twitter? My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Sure, but I couldn't even tell you what my handles are. Just your name. It's just your name. From, I'm, oh, Dylan knows. As a follower myself, it's just Steve. Drop the N. And it's Pasqual. Great. Just still. And what would I do without you today? Oh. Between you and the bio. Oh, well, I thought, you know, this has been, it's been so fun for me. So was I useful too, Steve? Yes, of course. <laughs> More useful. <laughs> Is there a competition between the two? Just, do you guys get competitive often? Uh, suddenly. <laughs> suddenly, yes. Today, yes, but not usually ever. <laughs> not usually ever. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you, Steve. Bye, Steve. Nice to meet you. Me too. And if anyone is interested in following us, we're at The Drama Podcast. I'm at Dylan McDowell. Connor is at Connor McDowell. And also check out our Patreon. We are releasing, you know, bonus episodes every month with, you know, all the juicy tea that you'd ever want to sip on. You could add it to our Instagram close friends. It's absolutely the place to be in 2022 as we break down everything that's going to be happening over the next year. And Connor, I will see you next time. Drama. Drama.